This is Darren Banks, and you're listening to the Sheriff Podcast. everybody to an exclusive exclusive episode of the sheriff guys i am blessed to have a gentleman with me right now that i actually look up to and it's for many reasons guys what he does i respect but the man and the person that he became doing it is what i have even more respect for so i'm gonna bring him right in right away so without further ado ladies and gentlemen adam scorgy how are you tonight brother I'm doing great, brother. I'm pumped to be on. I'm I'm a fan of yours. I as I was saying earlier, we were chatting before you were recording. Is that what really brought my love for hockey was the enforcers, the impassion and the, the commitment that the guys brought. And having to go to school with Parker and Fedoric is what made me a hockey fan to love all aspects of the game. And I've watched many clips of you growing up, and even now, and when we, when we were producing one of our films. So I'm pumped to be on the show. Right on, bro. Well, I'm excited to hear that. And yes, before we did start recording, you did tell me some juicy stuff that I'm really <laughs> excited to bring up because it's very interesting to me. And I know the listeners are going to absolutely love it. So, Adam, like, honestly, bro, like, I love people that are go-getters. I love leaders. I love people that are examples for the better good, right? So that's kind of like the definition of you, my friend, right? So wow. what I, no problem. What I like to do is I like to pick the brain of these people and try to figure out how this came about. So I like to start kind of from the beginning. Now, I know that you've lived in several places, but I believe your birthplace, is it Trail? Trail, BC? Trail, BC is my birthplace. That is where, it's funny because Kelowna jokes because I grew up there. But I'm born in Trail, and people say, well, you might be born in Trail, but you're a Kelowna boy. But now I've been in Edmonton for a long time. I lived overseas for a long time, too, and in the States. So I've kind of been all over. I consider myself, I am a Canadian, a proud Canadian boy, and I will I will count myself as a Trail boy. Well, I'm loving that for sure. <laughs> now, so how far is Trail from Kelowna then? So Trail's about, I think it's a three and a half, four hour drive. So my dad is from there and had big roots in the Kootenays and my uncles and stuff. I don't know if you ever played hockey in that community, but, um, you know, like the colander and all that is owned by my dad's best friends who we call my uncles cause they're all Italian. So we're, we're all related. Right. And that, uh, wow. so, so, but I, I moved away when I was really young. Uh, I lived in Singapore and Australia, Malaysia with my mom and my stepdad. And then I went to move with my biological father, uh and to Kelowna when I was 12 and then I I graduated high school there and that's kind of where I made my mark and I met the boys that's where I went to high school with Parker and Friggy and really fell in love with hockey again because I wasn't a sports guy in high school I played sports nothing super competitive but I well I shouldn't say I boxed competitively I was Western Canadian but I didn't do any team sports um and then going when the Rockets first came to Kelowna 
right? When the Spartans folded and then they brought the WHL and the Rockets came there and they weren't a very good team to start, but they were the toughest team around is we'd go because it was so entertaining. And Parker and Friggy went to our school. They were these men amongst boys and we'd watch, you know, it was like the WHL. I tell guys to play in the WHL now. I'm like, you wouldn't have survived in the WHL that I grew up watching because I was one in particular that no one will forget is uh, when Rocky Thompson and Parker squared off like everybody we were talking about at our our school for a month leading up because the teams only played each other once a year rocky was the toughest in his division parker was the toughest in their division and they didn't disappoint like one second into the game they usually play opposite wings they faced off each other the team made a circle around them they played rocky music and they dropped the puck from formalities and they went at it like you don't see that happen anymore, right? But that was, and every guy that had a pulse at our school, at KLO, we were at that game because we've been talking about it for a month. And they had the dun 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 dun, dun and it was an awesome fight. Depending on who you're a fan of, if you watch it today, if you're a Rocky fan, you'd say he won. If you're a Parker fan, you'd say he won. So it was a great fight. And that was really, I. that's when I really started to learn, though, like as much as the entertainment, like I love, like obviously, who doesn't love, even now you go to arena and people say they hate fighting, but when there's a fight, that's when all the corporate people drop for a second. They're like, oh my God, what's going on? Like a goal happens. They're like, oh, cool. Yay. Who scored? McDavid again? <laughs> no, there's other, there's 20 other players on the team, but it wasn't McDavid. But a fight gets everybody zoning in. But then learning just, you know, going to school with Parker and Fridgey, like the nerves that go through it and what they, you know, the pressure that it was on them to protect the team. And they're like, the team they're scared to go in against this team. And they look to me to be the guy that's not scared and has to try to rally them and bring them when they're down and all those dynamics of human behavior that that's what I found fascinating. I was like, man, that is so much deeper than the pugilistic aspect that most people get into just the dynamics. I'm like, here's a guy that's willing to sacrifice his body for the betterment of his team where, you know, a lot of teams, I think a lot of coaches and a lot of guys interview talked about this where, they bring in the enforcer, of course, for the physical aspect and what they brought in the dressing room. But even sometimes to show the superstar, like if you had half of that guy's heart with your talent, you could be the next star. But I'm sure you played with some of these guys, Sean, that, you know, they have no heart, wicked talent, but lazy, no heart, could care less for the big games, didn't show up. Where the enforcer, nine, like they don't have an opportunity to not show up because you can play hockey. You don't play fighting. Right. <laughs> you slack off in fighting and it costs you could be a life costing injury that comes from it. Dude, that that thank you for sharing that, because <laughs> that insight there, Adam, like like I I appreciate it. And I know the listeners do, because that's what we want to say, but just can't even think of getting into that deep. You know what I mean? So people, so many people want to say that. And you're so on point, brother. I can't even tell you. But you're not getting off the hook that easily. <laughs> Let, let's back up just a little bit here, okay? Sure. So sure. now, I, like, I, like I said in the beginning of the show, like I'm blessed to have you on the show, bro. I'm a big fan of yours, right? So I, I'm so excited you're here. But you mentioned a gentleman, Scott Parker, you know, and he, the original sheriff. Okay. And he was a special guest on the show as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm a huge fan of his. So you're telling me that you went to school with, with Parker and, and the fridge and the fridge. So, and I've got a great story about how Parker and I became friends. So, and this involves another guy that probably crossed your path is Vern Fiddler, who had a good career in the NHL. Yeah. He played Rockets. Vern and I were friends at first, but then 
you know, this is when the Rockets were first becoming big in Kelowna. So like you're on billboards, you have, you know, they built a new arena, you're 16 years old. You think your shit doesn't stink, but this was our graduating year in a small town. So we're kind of like, we were kind of like, fuck these Rockets. We've been here for five years. You guys just come in. It's not your city, right? So Vern yeah. and I butted heads a little bit and he's being a little cocky. I was too. I'm not trying to say that like Vern's a good guy. Now we're good friends and stuff like that, or not good friend, but like friends see each other. Nothing but respect for him. Great career. But, you know, he's being cocky and I, I was a bit of a scrapper when I was younger myself. I boxed competitively, as I said. So he was chirping. So I was like, well, fuck this guy. So I took the tires off his truck and I set it down in the parking lot. I didn't know that that fucks up your suspension. I thought you could just put it back on blocks, but yeah. fucked up his suspension. But he was intimidated. So he called Friggy and Parker to school. Now they had graduated, right? This is my senior year. They come okay. to the and I'm in class and everybody, the words coming around this before cell phones, everybody's like, dude, Freddie and Parker are here. They're scorched. They're coming for you because you took Vern's tires off. And I was like, fuck. I was like, Vern's my age. He's my size. If he can't fight his own, I'm like, fuck that. So I go outside, like during class, I just walked out of class and they're on the parking lot. I'm like, Vern, I'm like, dude, it was a joke. Like big deal. If there's damage to your car, pay for it. It's a prank. Like you don't need to bring these guys here. This is a joke. Fucking part. Like I was like, you think I'm scared of these guys? And like I was like, Parker was a yeah. giant. Yeah. I was hold. I was going to hold my own. Like, I was like, okay, like Parker's like three years older than me. He's a giant. Like I, I box competitively. I'm like, maybe I can land a few couple shots, give him a shiner before he knocks me out. And then <laughs> that'd be a win. I'm like three, four years younger. Right. Like everybody yep. like, man, they're growing. So Parker and I, like I stood my ground and it was like, Hey, if you're going to back up this, I can go call people too. My dad rides with the hell's angels. I can get people from the bar that are the same age. And I said to yeah. Parker, you have a career to lose. These guys don't, they're getting out of prison. Right. And Parker was like, I like this guy's balls, right? This guy's like, because he didn't really want to be there for Vern, right? He was like doing the team thing, being the older veteran, yeah. sticking up for the team. But he's like, yeah, Vern bit off more than he can chew. And he's like, I think you should just drop the mitts with you and go. So Parker and I became buddies after that. He's like, I love that you'd like, like, because I was a little shit then. I graduated 165 pounds. Parker, he was okay. just getting signed by the NHL. So he's like 225, jacked, lean, six, six foot five. five. Yeah, yeah. it would have right? His fists are as big as my face, right? But I was like, okay, if you're going to, I'll go, yeah, and then I'll find someone that's more your match. But Vern, it should really be you stepping up to me. We're the same age. We're the same. So little funny story, because I bumped into Yonkman and a few other guys that played. They're like, we still bug Vern about you taking his tires off. Whenever he gets <laughs> to hockey, we're like, hey, do you need your tires taken off your car to bring you down a level? I'm like, no, yeah. you don't. He's like, yeah, <laughs> we teach them. I'm like, so a little funny story of all. And then you, you see Vern had like a 15 year great career in the NHL. Turned out to be yeah. a great, you know, that was young punks. But yeah, we went to school with giants when we were with Parker. And Friggy was, everybody loved Friggy. He was probably the first rocket that really connected with the whole school because he's much more of like a wicked party guy that went kicked ass on the ice than a lot of the other guys. Like Parker's pretty quiet to get to know him, actually. He's like kind of a teddy bear, not very outspoken to get to know him. So despite yeah, his look. Yeah. Right. I think I think Francesca explains them perfectly where they say, you know, when they walk into banks now with all their tattoos and their big people think they're the ones going to come and rob it. But yeah. they'd be the first yeah. people that if robbers came would be there to Wait. defend. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. That's such a cool point. Yeah. And it's so true. It's so true. So, dude, th thank you for sharing that, because that's super cool, man. That's really cool stuff. And like I had heard like I have. It'll be curious. I mean, I know we're not the same age, but I have a I have a friend named Ryan Jordy that's from Kelowna. Yeah, and yeah. he played with me my first three years pro in Rochester. He was actually a really tough guy, and he was a defenseman. Yeah. 
and he grew up in Kelowna. Um, he ended up he he played in the WHL, but not for Kelowna. But he grew up watching Parker and those guys, man. And he, I remember him telling me stories on the bus, Adam, just yeah. the craziest Parker stories, man. Yeah. And like, so like I I had insight on the original sheriff before yeah, yeah. really I started to kind of know him personally, right? It. So that's pretty cool, man. And like, yeah. I love hearing these stories and I, I know the listeners do too, right? So I, I really appreciate you mentioning it, but there's just one more thing with, with this timeline. So, yeah. and, and the reason why I'm so interested in it is because me and Alex Penner, uh, Weapon X, okay? Um, when we were in the UK, we did something similar to what you explained with Parker and and Rocky, right? Yeah. And it, we we tried to promote it. We went on the UK radio. You know, we were talking it up. We said, "Yep, we were friends personally." But once we get on that ice, it's a battlefield. And we were <laughs> pumping it up. The sheriff versus Weapon X. So I, I love this type of stuff. So just could you just tell me a little bit more about that? So you're telling me that. As soon as the puck dropped, all the players on the ice just kind of went into like around the circle. So, so before the puck dropped, like they knew. So normally okay, they, played so- they they went right. Like everybody knew the arena was there. People can say what they want. It was like when Domi and Probert fought, people were there to see that. People could give two shits about the actual game. They wanted to see Rocky and Parker. So they're normally opposite wings. Right at the start of the game, they went right in front of, they didn't even go down. Like they just stood up with their stick. And right then the teams made a circle other than the two centers for the faceoff. And they dropped the puck and got out of the way and just made like an arena of men surrounding them. And they put on the Rocky music that dun, 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 and they yeah. scared off. Like they made it an event. Everybody came for, like, I swear, like, that's why I use the term without a pulse. Like maybe unless you were a complete like had no idea what was going on in school and you weren't into sports or whatever, but every guy that had a lick of interest in hockey and sports and competitiveness was there to see Rocky Thompson and Parker that night. And they did not disappoint one second in like now there's probably suspensions and banning. Like you can't do half the things that they and playing the Rocky music to promote. Like it was, we went to you, we used to go to games in, in, I remember going for just the third period of the Rockets versus Seattle. And it took like two and a half hours. There was like line brawl after line brawl. The coach from Seattle walked off the bench. There's only six players left. There's nobody left because everybody went out. That's when Jason DeLorme was on that team and Parker, oh. Trevor Lawrence, uh, Dale Peerington. Oh. It, was, it, was, it was Animal Central. So they went like, it was like line after line after line did it. And it, I was like, this is the best third period I've ever watched. <laughs> it was like, even the guys that never, it was one of those games where even the guys that never drop them, like maybe that was their only second fight in their career, they dropped them too. Something okay. happened, we missed what happened earlier. Obviously, some kind of cheap play happened, and mm. the team was pissed off in retribution. Parker got kicked out early. Like, he went after somebody on the bench, and they got rid of him. And then, like, Seattle kind of got, they're like, okay, well, Parks is gone. We're going to, I think they ran somebody else into the board, and then that was it, and I don't know if you know Jason DeLorme, but he he wasn't a big guy, but tough as hell. And he was so a lot. They had a lot of those guys, too. They were like, no, fuck this. Parker might be gone, but we can handle our own. And they all went. And it was, say what you want, it was the most exciting third period. And then after that, like, of course, we're teenagers. So then after that, you're hanging out with the girls. Everything else is party time. I'd gotten off work. I think I was working at Earl's at the time. So 
went after that. So I get a really different insight where you would see these, like you'd see them where they seem larger than life on ice and the arena and fans and cheering. But then I'd also see them in high school, right? Where Parker's a pretty quiet guy. Fridgy was more the limelight guy, but you'd see them in high school where I remember when Parker was going to fight Rocky, he was nervous the whole week. He talked about like not any of his, you know, any of the stuff he's writing down on paper. He's like, I was acing tests and I don't even remember what was on there. And, you know, so I got to see this whole side of the pressure because you forget as big as Parker and Fridgy and them were, they're still just teenagers, right? They're kids. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they're giants, though, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. and now you say, like, when they have, like, so a lot of great players now have come through the Rockets organization, like Duncan Keith, Leon Dreisaitl, uh, Scott Hannon. And if you go look out of all the people that have been there, Shea Weber, Scott Parker's got a like a 40 foot mural in there as one of the biggest fan favorites to ever play for that organization. Right. Oh, yeah. it's, one of, it's one of the things I feel with like, you know, the way hockey's going and the way culture's going, like it looks like, and I'm sure you're going to test this, like fighting's probably going to be out of the game in the next decade. And I, I'm sad to see that not just for the pugilistic aspect and the, the violence isn't that I'm obsessed with seeing violence is that there's a passion that you guys bring to the game that I see waning on so many teams now where because of salary caps and guys are moving all the time, there's hardly anybody that stays with, with an organization for a long time other than maybe your superstar player. And there's many games where I go and I'm like, you know, even the commentators who I'm sure you're friends with them, a lot of them, they're covering the mic being like, holy, this is a snooze fest. Like they're just going through the motions. Everybody's fast now. Everybody has stick handling. Everybody can move. There's no character. And because players are there for two years and then gone, they don't really care about the team in the city anymore. They're like, paycheck, I'm going to just try to get enough points, do what I can yep. to get to the next. That There's a lot of games that I watch. I'm like, man, I'd rather watch my my daughter's like AAA team because they're all trying to get college scholarships. These guys have all settled in and making their big money, and they don't really seem like they give a shit tonight. And that aspect is what I hope hockey never loses. Like, I love – the passion and the rivalries. And you can tell me what you want about rivalries today. You can try to sell them on TV, make them play eight times a game. But if you don't have that, that the big hits and the odd fights and the animosity, it's not the same. You can try to promote it as much as you want. It's, it's not the same. Well, you're absolutely right. It's definitely not the same. There's a couple things I want to add to what I heard you mention. Yeah. So first off, and we're going to talk about him a little bit after, but the reason why I wanted to dig into like the Rocky Parker thing is for, first of all, the original sheriff, I believe that when he came into the NHL, I believe that he was the quickest player to go to the top. I mean, this guy fought Probert right away, whatever. He didn't like that fight. So who does he go after right after the Grim Reapers, his next fight? Boom, KO. Like, yeah. he, like he reached the top very quickly, right? Where it took a lot of guys time and time to get up there to the top, just like it does with anything, right? Yeah. So I'm such a big fan of the original Sheriff. So that, yeah. that's one point. That's Rocky awesome. Thompson. Rocky Thompson. That guy... Same type of thing with my buddy Ryan Jordy because he was a big yeah. Rocky fan too. So I'm yeah. hearing all these novelty stories about Rocky Thompson. But the only problem is that Rocky Thompson is in the AHL. So now yeah. I'm like, I'm going to have to play against this guy. <laughs> I'm telling you, Adam, yeah. two of my most memorable fights were against Rocky Thompson in the AHL. The first one, yeah. I got Rocky really good. 
right? I, I, I was boom, boom, boom. Jersey came over. Boom, boom, boom. Over. Okay. Buddy, this guy, this is, let's listen to this preparation. Rocky's known for the long hair, right? Yeah. When I got him in that fight, I didn't pull his hair and he didn't accuse me of pulling hair, but in the process, his hair got pulled when he got jerseyed and it's just the way it happened, right? And he went down and he wasn't happy. So this is what a true warrior does. A true warrior looks at mistakes that he made, tries to correct them and goes back to battle. This guy for our next game, he came with a one level shaved head, like not <laughs> shaved like Bic, but like a one level and then blonde. Okay. Blonde. I remember when he did that. I remember In when he Toronto, had the it was when it was the road runners before the Marlies. Okay. This guy picks the perfect time. I can't, I'm not a hater. He did it at the perfect time. And he, 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 he got the, a, a good jump on me. I knew it was happening, but he's, he was just so prepared and so quick. Got a perfect jump on me. He hit me so hard that I can still feel those lefts, man. <laughs> I tried to, I was trying to swing back at him. I was trying and I did okay, but he yeah. got me so good, bro. Boom, 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 boom. I've never, I didn't go down or anything, but dude, he put me into another dimension with how he prepared and he got me back and he definitely won that fight. It was a great fight, but he yeah. definitely got the decision, right? Well, Rocky, Rocky's fast and he had, he's a golden gloves boxer too, right? So he had great hands, right? If you got that, that's, that's an awesome tale of like him buzz. Cause I remember Dude. when he had blonde hair, I didn't recognize him at first. I'm like, is that the same Rocky Thompson? Cause yeah, he was known for the hair. So you want to hear small world? So yeah. my daughter, like we live in Edmonton now, right? So my daughter goes to a hockey academy here. My daughter made AAA in her first year. She's a pretty competitive player. And she kept talking about this girl, True, that she became good friends with and she played. It was the only other girl in her program at the academy. The rest was all boys. She kept saying her dad's like a coach in the NHL. And I was like, well, why is he? He's for the Oilers? Like, no, he's moved. He used to be San Jose. And now and I didn't. And I just the, the name stuck because it's a unique name for a first name. Daughter being true. Right. I was like, OK, true. That's an, and then she's like, oh, yeah, like she's moving soon. She's going down to San Antonio. Her dad just got a job as like, or um, San Jose. Dad just got an assistant coaching job. I'm like, oh, like for do you mean San Diego for the Gulls and the AHL? She's like, no, no, San Jose, like hundred the blue jersey. And I was like working for the Sharks. And she's like, yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, I had to look when yeah. I put it to, looked at her. La I'm like, what's her last name? She's like Thompson. So then I look and I'm like, oh my God, it's Rocky Thompson's daughter, right? Wow. So then I was like geeked out a little bit to him. Like, but like Riley's like, oh yeah, True's coming with me to the ODR. I'm like, was her dad dropping her off? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, well, tell her I want to say what's up. Like I got some child and it's funny because yeah. Riley's like, are you really kind of geeking out? Like you work with all these big people. I'm like, yeah, but I got a special place for hockey tough guys. So like, I'd like to chat with them and what a small world. The two of you guys became friends and trained together. So it's like, we're you see this, especially in the hockey world, I find is incredibly small. And that's what we found when we were producing Ice Guardians is that, you know, because that was a sensitive subject matter at the time with both the NHL and a lot of guys were not keen on being interviewed too, because that's when a lot of media was really pushing that you guys were like dumb pugilists that didn't belong there. And this, you know, and I was coming from the aspect, I'd be like, no, I went to school with Parks and Friggy. Like they'll, vary, they'll, they'll vouch for me. I'm not coming from that angle. And once yeah. they opened the door, it totally changed once we sit down with the guys like, okay, these guys are asking the right question. I remember that happened with Dave Samanko was we, he wasn't interested, right? Didn't really care. And then uh, we interviewed Clark Gillies and Clark Gillies called him and said, Dave, these guys are asking the right questions. If you have a chance to sit down with them, you should do it. 
So then I I had him programmed in my phone, and I'm just sitting in bed one Sunday, and I I just see Dave Semenko show up, and I'm like, whoa! I like pretend I'm up, like slap my face. I'm like, hello. He's like, hey, this is Dave Semenko. Is this Adam? I'm like, yep, yep. And he's like, ah, talk to Clark. He said good things. He said, I think you should interview. When can you make this happen? I'm like, oh, you you let me know. I'll drive out to Edmonton. We'll we'll make it happen. So he's like, ah, how about like next week or something? I'm like, sure. Didn't know how I was gonna get there. I was so broke at the time. I was like, yeah, find a way minivan drove through blizzard to make sure that we were there and you know god uh rest his soul there we lost sammy a few years ago but he's excellent in ice guardians and i couldn't imagine it without him and we did a whole fundraiser for him we did another screening here and raised money for his favorite charity and stuff once he passes talk about a guy that had an intimidating look and legendary stories but like many of the enforcers very misunderstood like funny joker awesome guy to hang out with off the ice like sure he's a killer on the ice but off the ice we ended up flying back after we did a screening in in st louis with chaser and the boys there and ended up being on the same flight with him i chatted on the whole way home and i was like what a great guy just period just overall great human being let alone the persona that he played on the ice it was um saturday when i woke up to twitter and saw that we'd lost him to pancreatic cancer sad it's very sad and thank you for sharing that adam for sure because <laughs> that's you know but no but that's the, that's deep man and i i appreciate it i appreciate yeah. it a lot so ice guardians is going to be a, like a really a, a pretty big topic here because there's a lot of questions i want to ask you following high school though what we were talking about before because i know that this new york city move that you did yeah. was probably life-changing and was the beginning of everything for you right i have a lot of questions about the new york time because that's where you did your studying and working and and that's where that's where it all began for you where did you live in the big apple bro Uh, first i gotta say damn you've done your homework here sean because i i had all the interviews i've done no one has probably looked up as much as you so i'm impressed with that uh, two, in, I started, uh, I lived in a model house because I started in front of the camera first uh, in Rahway, New Jersey, out where the prison is. There used to be, there was the agency that brought me in. You could pay 500 bucks a month and you get room and board. And there's a whole bunch of other guys there. And then two guys that are still like some of my best friends to this day. I'm a godfather to, to one of their daughters. Um, we all decided to move to Washington Heights. So we lived right on 183rd Street in Fort Washington, right by the GW Bridge. Wow. So if you're, so yeah we at the time living in washington heights was kind of like the new developing area that was like it was cost effective we had a two bedroom there was four of us that stayed in there we just had bunk beds or like loft beds to make rent cheap because we were you know we were grinding at the time like you're doing acting and film classes and working catering gigs to pay the bills so we had it that way we're at the time i'm sure this place is 10 times the amount now but at the time it was only 1400 bucks a month rent so each of us had 350 each to to cover the rent it was really quite cost effective for a decently sized two bedroom because it was you know to new yorkers if you've been there on the island people are like i've never been past columbus circle you're on 183rd street like where even is that like it's, it's way out there right so so yeah that's where i i did my my new york time was majority on like right by the gw bridge in fort washington but how old were you when you first got there though like how 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 young like was it, it was great it was great it was a year after september 11th so it wasn't quite 220 like so i would have been 21. So okay was, right on yeah. okay so all right awesome so now now the other question i had is the culture of new york city 
that must have been a, a thing to get used to because you know like like I find like I was born in Vancouver brother and and I know how it is in, in the west right and I love yeah. it out there Toronto's a little bit different right it, it's it, yeah. it Toronto's the way Toronto is but Toronto you kind of get a little bit warmed up for New York City I find where even if you're from Montreal it's just it, it's it's such a shock it must be you know yeah well see I I I visited uh, actually my wife at the time uh, she was working there as a nanny. So I went and visited her and I loved it there. Like I, the thing I found about New York and I tell people is when you go, if you've never been, you feel like you have, cause you've seen it in so many movies. Right. So when you walk by certain, like, Oh, I've seen that in home alone, or I've seen that in this. And I've seen like, you feel at certain parts of it, like you've been there before. Uh, and I love the energy and the vibe. And I'd lived, I'd done a lot of traveling when I was young overseas. Like I, like I said, I lived in, Singapore, I lived in Australia, I traveled lots. So right. like the big city yeah. and the multi and everything for me wasn't as big of a shock other than, you know, the grind of what I was getting into, the film industry, tons of rejection, going out on casting calls and auditions and stuff and getting told like that was a big shock. And it really got me thick skin for what I do now, where it's kind of like now when I get like now when I pressure distributors, I literally say to them, I'm like, listen, no is the second best answer you can give me. So just please say the no so I can move on because I've got five other options after you. Like I'm so used to rejection at this point. It's like no thing. That part was a, you know, I embraced the part. I was young at the point like where you walk everywhere. You don't need a car. I love that, right? Kept me in shape. You did the, if you've done the New York grind, like you just, you know, the subways and you, you, you walk, you're like, the only thing that sucks is you're like, oh, we have to go over like four avenues. That's a bit of a hike. But if you're doing streets, you're like, yeah, 10 streets over, catch the A train, zip up and go. I loved it. If I didn't have my wife and I both love New York, if we didn't have kids and need all that space, like I'd probably move back. Maybe not now. States is kind of a mess right now, but when it, when it, when it gets a bit more normal, yeah. but I, I, I love New York. I, I love the hustle. And I think that it helps me now with that. I enjoy the slower pace, obviously being older with kids, but at the time I love that grind. I think it inspired me where you're, you know, everything is a competition to like getting your spot on the subway, to getting your, your space on the sidewalk, to getting this gig that you're trying to get. Like everybody's fighting for something there where it was, I like that at the time I was young and I liked that challenge, you know, maybe now I'm a little older, but like, oh, I don't want to fight so much. Right. But at that age, I, I liked it. I embraced it. Yeah, dude. And, and I, I appreciate you saying that because um, you were absolutely point on about people when they first go to New York city. Cause for me, I went with my girlfriend at the time who had gone to St. John's in, in, in New York, like the, the university, right? Yeah. So she had gone there. She, had, she lived in New York for a year. So she knew everything and she was showing me, right? So I had like a, you know, like a sh chaperone. I did the subway. I did Canal Street yeah. going into the back, back rooms for the, for the other, you know, Gucci yeah. stuff. And, you know, like I felt like I was in a movie, dude. You know what I mean? I'm a big Jay-Z fan. So yeah. I, had to, I had to drive, I drive by, not walk, but drive yeah. by the Marcy projects, right? Yeah. I had to see all that, man. And you're absolutely right. I felt like, yeah, I know this because I watched the music videos, right? Yeah. So I, I hear you, man. And, and I'm, I love that insight. So obviously, thank you for sharing that. This is what gets me really excited, though, is your move back to Canada after the, the time in New York, okay? Mm -hmm. Because, dude, let me. I just want to make sure I get this right. Because you had you are you like, and I want to ask you about it. What, what the plan was around doing the feature documentary, The Union, um, the business behind getting high, 
right? When, how long did that all take? Because it seems like from what I read that when you got back to Canada, it was like, boom, you got right into that. And then you, it ended up winning all these awards and being so successful, probably the most in Canadian history, right? For, for, for a cult classic documentary. Yeah, you're so, well, again, I'm impressed with the, the digging. So I got back, I, I moved back only because my biological father had fallen ill, right? So I left, me and all my New York boys were supposed to go back for a summer and and just go hang out in Kelowna because Kelowna is a beautiful, I'm sure you've been there, right? In the summer oh, yeah. from Vancouver, it's a, it's a beautiful beach town in the summer, right? It's where everybody goes. So I was like, guys, you got to come there. And my buddies always thought I was kind of maybe full of shit with the stories I tell because my dad owned a strip club and he used to ride with the Hells Angels. And I used to be like, oh yeah, I know all those. And people were like, I realized like in Canada, that was pretty normal, especially if you're from the West coast, like you saw them all, but them from the States, like, like real hell's angel. I'm like, yeah, dude, like my dad, like one of them was a manager of my dad's nightclub. Like I've, I've known these guys since I was 16 years old when they're like, what? And then, so when they came back, but my, yeah, my dad had fallen ill. So he's in the hospital. My boys came back for the summer. And then my, my father passed that summer in August. And then I was, my dad wasn't married. So obviously you own a strip club. Like, not a good so I, I took over and managing his estate, I was kind of back and forth. And then I was looking for that, that thing to do. I knew I didn't want to stay in the strip club. I, my dad wanted me to run it when I was young and I took off. I went to New York. I didn't want to be in that business. Like it was fun when you were a kid, but I knew long run. I'm like, this is just a, it's a tiring business. It's, it's bad overall. And my dad was happy overall that I left, but I had to learn how to manage all that when I came back. So that's right. when I learned back and a lot of my friends were growing right and they were and i'd be like dude what's like and a lot of them they weren't that smart of guys and they're driving like sixty thousand dollar trucks and they have brand new boats and they got these houses i'm like what the fuck this guy's a donkey he can hardly spell his name and now he's like oh dude he's in the union i'm like what fucking union because sign me up and like dude that's just what we say like code word when we say he's growing right and he's got a front business and everything i was like wow so i actually looked at getting in for a while i had a little bit of inheritance i was going to buy a house and then have somebody grow in there while I was going to film school and stuff in New York and trying to get rid of the club. Then I, I never, I never broken the law like that before, you know, speeding tickets, fights, things like that. Typical boys breaking law, but I'd never done something like that where I'm like, Oh, this could be some serious jail time. Um, didn't end up doing it. But then I, this is right when documentaries were getting really popular. I just watched bowling for Columbine and supersize me and they were getting more mainstream and they were in theaters and stuff. So I was like, man, yeah. why did Thing like supersize me but about the marijuana industry and then you know like we say in the film although like marijuana per se is not that addictive learning about it quickly became so like how does this billion dollar industry function while remaining illegal um and yeah it ended it's still funny out of all the films we've done to date that one and probably ice guard into two that people like always bring back as they had it i think part of it was just when the union came out there's such less content available like youtube was just hitting its stride and things like so it really really spiraled in a way that new films now can't go as viral just because there's algorithms that block them if you're not paying for ads and like yeah. all these to prevent that so it really just became this cult phenomenon around the world it didn't even have a distribution deal i had friends of mine messaging me being like adam this is kind of cool, but I know because you haven't sold it yet, but they're like, you're like a top two download on Pirate Bay right now, beating like theatrical movies. And I was like, well, that's horrible because I haven't sold my film yet. Like, <laughs> I, like that's in there. But my buddy's like, but dude, it's super cool to see you on Pirate Bay. Like you're beating big movies. I'm like, that's not that cool for me. Um, but it, 
you know, although the movie didn't make much money, it it really solidified. Like it really, we got our education because it didn't happen overnight. Like I, I I I use this phrase many times that when we started the idea of the union, my daughter wasn't even thought of, and by the time it was in film festival, she was like one and a half. So it took a long time from concept to delivery. I think it was like three and a half, four years to get it done. But that was really the value of that was that was like our degree in film school we did it the hard way where we actually put up hard money took the risk try to get our investors money back get a distribution deal have it successful we did all the things you're not supposed to do in your first film most people's first film was like a short film that might get into a few film festivals nobody sees ours became a cult phenomenon to the point where parliament hill received so many letters and emails about it, thousands that they invited us to come screen it to educate the Liberal Party who now made it legal. So it's some small part, you know, can't say how much, but we screened it for senators and MPs who ultimately wrote the legalization policy that went through in 2018. Wow. So that's a really big deal, man. <laughs> yeah. And like, so that's, yeah. And Adam, I mean, it's, it's so cool what you're saying. And but the things that stand out to me the most is, is the fact that you know, you're saying, you know, we 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 went all in on this and we and we learned so much and 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 dude, you did you did all those things, but but dude, it, it paid off so much. Like like I know the process and like the journey is what's important, but mm -hmm. dude, man, what is this? Thirty three film international festivals selections, winning several best feature documentaries. And then, dude, this is the most, I, I know I just mentioned it before, but most successful cult classic doc documentary in Canadian history. I, is that a fact? That's a fact, yeah. If yeah. You're, if you're looking, so if you were to Google right now, top 10 marijuana documentaries ever made with the Vice pieces, National Geographic, whatever, the Union, and then our follow-up, the Culture High, will almost always be in the top three, no matter what list you go on. The Union was the one that we were receiving emails from all over the world. People had taken the time to translate it themselves so that they could watch it in Romania and in like all over the place where people said the Union was the film that got their parents to apologize to them or got their professor. They, I, we were getting invited to universities to come speak to it. In fact, one university, two young guys in Suffolk, which is a big law school there just outside of Boston. Yeah. They wrote me and said, you know, they say, yeah, we'd like you to come speak. We love your movie. We're big fans. Like, we'd love you to come speak. And at the time I was really broke. And I was like, well, you guys would have to pay. And they're like, oh yeah, we pay you 3000 US plus all your flights and everything. I was like, cool, I'll be there tomorrow, right? Like, I was like, let's go. And then yeah. when they came up there, they picked me up and I was talking to them and I was like, hey guys, so like, you know, how'd you guys find out about the film? How would, like, they started a normal chapter, which is National Organization to Reform Marijuana Laws, right? And they're, I'm like, what you got you guys so active and getting involved? They're like, you're a movie. I'm like, oh, you don't got to say that just because I'm in the car, guys. I appreciate it, but that's, you know, like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a small town boy in Canada. You can shoot it. They're like, no, seriously. Like, we saw yeah. your film two years ago at the Vermont Film Festival. And I remember being like, well, that was one of the very first, out of those 33 you mentioned, it was like number yep. four. Okay. And they're like, I loved it so much. I brought Matt the next day and be like, you got to see this. It's changed the way I look, not only at cannabis, but just the way our media works and how we're influenced. And so they both went. And then when they got to, they, when they graduated high school and they went to university, they're like, we got to get more active. We want to get more vocal about marijuana. So they started the Suffolk chapter and the Suffolk chapter at the time, this was a few years ago, had grown to become one of the largest in any university in the United States. At the time with like 3,800 members or something like that. Oh. Like, Adam, that all started because of your film. And I, I, that's where you really see 
when you take the risk to put something out there, how much it can impact somebody. You may think it's not, or you might go by the measurements of typical society, like, oh, I didn't make millions off of it, or I didn't win an Oscar, so therefore it's not valuable because those societal pressures are what what you've put your own deem as value, right? But I remember that being like, wow, like I've affected, like, or our team, I don't want to say me, our team that made the movie affected that many people that they started a chapter and, and those two young guys, they're now like lawyers, right? They went on to become lawyers because they yeah. wanted, they got political at law school and about their activism. And they went on like, it's amazing to see what the impact of these docs can have. And, you know, we have the same with Ice Guardians where that was finally the one that so many guys like yourself, Sean, that have done the role were like, thank you for finally telling the story correctly, right? Without the media saying these savages and all the, like just sharing this side of the story. And then of course we got the other people like, oh, it's a pro fighting film. I was like, no, you know, cause here's, here's the fact that we tried to do with Ice Guardians. Whether you agree with fighting in hockey or not is irrelevant. The part that is relevant is that it is a huge part of hockey's history and the players that did that role and contributed to the evolution and the growth of the game, they deserve as much recognition as any other player that's put a, a jersey on their back, whether they're a goal scorer, whether they're a grinder. Mm -hmm. So, and, and you look at now where like fighting's almost on its way out. You have the Enforcer Appreciation page. You have your podcast. You have all these ones where people, they love this content. They're going to never get over it. They're going to hear these stories forever. There is an aspect to that that helped the game grow to where it is today. And that's really... Ice Guardians is really the director and I's kind of love letter to saying like, thank you guys for making us fans of hockey because my daughter's in hockey now and, you know, she wants to go play university hockey. She's playing on a three-time national championship team here. I, I love watching. And that all came straight up from watching the enforcers and going to school with Park Scene Fedora. Isn't that amazing though, how that works, Adam? So now, okay, so there's some really juicy stuff that you went yeah. here. So. Let me get to these points. So now when you're when you're saying that, you know, the players contacted you and said, you know, thank you for doing this. Like, you have no idea how much we appreciate it. I, I understand exactly where they're coming from, because I feel the same way about about the documentary. Right now, this is what I think, Adam. I think what you just mentioned about the history of hockey to do with the, the people that played the players that played the role and how important they were in all the different aspects. When it comes down to breaking down the NHL and what where they're going to go in the future, this is what I believe. It's a couple of things that you just mentioned there. What I believe is that it might not happen with Gary Bettman per se, but I believe if they get some fresh people in there, and those people really study the game and when it was most successful and where we may have gone a little bit wrong. Where we went wrong is we didn't appreciate guys like Parker in the fridge and all, all the list of guys that did the role, the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s, Adam, when it was just two guys on every team and yeah. those rivalries that you're talking about that you got to experience as far ago as junior – you yeah. know what I mean? Those rivalries, I'm telling you, I'm a Toronto boy. So Ty Domi and Rob Ray is oh, a perfect yeah. example. Now, those guys, have, I think, fought each other the most in NHL history. It's like, I don't know what it is. Like, they had like 20 rounds or something, right? So 18, 18, if you include like them fighting in the dressing room when they were teammates on some team. And Rob Ray jokes, he's like, that's the only time I cut that fucker is when his, his, his marble head hit the table on the, when we were going down. 
Right? So, like, okay, so that excitement there, dude, that those fans in Buffalo and Toronto got to experience the buildup. What happened with, with Razor and Ty last game? You know, is Buffalo going to start Ray, May, and Barnaby? You know, who do we have? Who are we going to – are they, are they going to dress Belak and Domi? Are they gonna, you know what I mean? Like, like, bro, it was so awesome, right? Even at the NHL level, right? Yeah. That's gone from the game. That excitement, that hype, that camaraderie, that you know what I mean? That that part is completely gone. So now, how do you think the NHL could make something work? I try to say the problem that they had before was they didn't protect the players. So what if Adam, if after Parker got his fifth major, he qualified for a special insurance that the NHL set up for those players that are putting their bodies and heads at risk for the team and protected them. Let the players know that they're not just, if they get knocked out tonight and they're done, that it's not just their life's over and they got to try to figure out, like, they're going to be insured, they're going to be protected. Now, the fastest growing sport in North America is, is you know, ultimate fighting MMA, right? Okay. Fastest growing sport in the world. It isn't just in North America. That's okay. the sport in the world. Okay. So why can't we try something where it's not like we're just taking out the instigator rule and doing this and going all crazy, but why don't we set up something for the players, like an insurance for those guys that have a certain amount of fighting majors? Let a little bit of excitement back at them. Maybe not like two, three guys on each team. But let it let let a team have one guy, right? One guy, one one guy. Like there's one goalie in the game. Let there be a tough guy. Let him be protected. Let him bring that excitement, and then let it spread. What do you I, think, I, man? I'm a hundred percent with you, and I don't know. I just don't know with the way society is going. I'd love to see, and I think that's the biggest thing that, and that's what people don't understand. What Parker did is when he joined that lawsuit. You know, and so many people stabbed him in the back. We're like, what is he was never fighting for anything other. He's still proud of this day and he would do it all over again, even with yeah, his head. I know he's like, but he did it so that the younger guys could get insurance. That's what they were fighting for, because right now when he goes, the NHL tries to say his injuries aren't from hockey. And he's like, give me a break that they aren't from hockey. Like everything like and what people don't realize too is like sure the punches to the head and everything were not healthy but parker took a puck in practice to his eye that's when things really started to go downhill for him right just a basic play came it chipped off thing hit him right in the eye socket rattled his brain gave him a traumatic brain injury like you know and, and you're seeing this now to go i'm going on a little other tangent here is that you know a couple of years ago when we released ice guardians the enforcers your role sean you guys were everything that was bad with hockey Right. Because the unfortunate incident of Rippin, Belak and Bugard all within a small period yeah. of time. Mm -hmm. But now and this is what we brought up and nobody was willing to run with it is I was like, listen, if you guys think that mental illness and addiction solely comes from the pugilistic aspect, you haven't studied addiction. I've done two films and interviewed some of the greatest addiction specialists around the world, the union and the culture high. And now you're seeing and I don't want to mention names. There are several Hall of Famers that have been in and out of rehab the last couple of years that never fought in their career. There are several players in the last couple of years that have died in all of the leagues that have never dropped their gloves once that have committed suicide and had mental illness. So for everyone, and this was the fear that we were trying to talk about. We didn't we didn't capture perfectly nice guardians. We didn't have the 
but to throw everything at the enforcers and say there everything is wrong. Well, I love how little bit of media now, or not love, but it's sad to see guys that were just, you know, regular players, talented players that had committed suicide or had mental illness or addiction problems. Well, oh, it's not a concussion issue now. It's not the pugilistic. Oh, or maybe like we were saying in Ice Guardians, mental illness and addiction is a very complex issue. So to just say it's an enforcer problem, you are totally misrepresenting tons of people going through things. And you're starting to see that more and more now. More and more guys are coming out, superstar players. It isn't just the enforcers. The enforcers were just the easy. They were the scapegoats, right? That they were like and say, oh, he got punched in the face, bad. There's the problem with hockey. As soon as we eliminate that, you know, it's gone. But as we also talked about, John, which you probably see, you're probably in that perfect time frame where when you started to where you ended, the speed of the game has gone fucking like this. Like, yeah. I watched, I watched like seventies highlights. My fifteen-year-old daughter could outskate eighty-five percent of the people in the NHL now. The way that they do eagle turns and jab steps and shit—they didn't do none of that shit back in the seventies, right? And the equipment shit they're using, they they skate so much better. So when people, this has always been my issue: is people that they totally hate the fighting, but they're okay with body checks. And I was like, well, now you're just determining what level of violence you're okay with. I yeah. actually, at least for the fight you and weapon X are determining a level of violence you're willing to get into. You're like, yep, yep. We're going to go, we're going to drop the gloves. We're, we are totally aware of the weight difference and everything else. We're, but a clean body check can end your career with how fast it is like that clean shoulder to chest. You're going 35 miles an hour now with the pads that are out to here. How many guys have you seen their career? They take one, they're coming in, the guy lines them up. And of course, everybody goes after him. And then you hear them saying, oh, I don't like how they go after him for a clean hit. I'm like, that's his brother that he probably, you know, he rooms with for five years. He's probably gonna be the best man at his wedding. He doesn't give a shit if it's a clean hit or not. You do that to a yeah. family member, I'm coming after you, right? Like, yep. exactly. <laughs> like, so that's the part to me that I was always like, how are you okay with that level of violence where at least with the fight, you have a chance to say you're good. If a guy accidentally gives you a blind pass, you didn't agree to have your career ended with a clean hit, right? Sure, you agree when you get on the ice, but you didn't agree for him to crush you to the point where you might never be the same. So that's always my argument. If you're okay with the hitting, like the elephant in the room is at the speed of the game. That's where the the, the point of contact and most of the injuries really come from. Sure, like we had the Cassian incident the other night. As soon as that comes up and everybody comes out and they're like, oh, look at this. But Cassian was back in the lineup like three days later past concussion protocol he's like hey i understand the risks my arm got caught under my head hit the ice it happens yeah no exactly and, and and you said it perfect there and, and i really appreciate that a couple things i want to i, I want to add to as well um so, so the first thing is that i i believe that the nhl has moved a little bit forward with last year's playoffs Last year's playoffs seemed to be very intense at times. We did see some gloves on the ice. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And, like, teams like Toronto, for example, like Adam, man. <laughs> I know you probably feel bad for me, but I grew up in Toronto, right? So I'm a <laughs> Leaf fan, right? I'm a deep down Leaf fan, right? And, like, last year, dude, honestly, and, like, I, as people that are listening to this, they have to agree. Everyone from Toronto, we thought we were going to win the Stanley Cup, man. I mean, we had Smoking Joe. We had all these guys, you know, veterans added to this young core. We thought we were going to do it. Well, Montreal did to us, man. That's 
like, I mean, it, it was history. There's only a few yeah. teams in the NHL that have ever done it. But yeah. the fact that it was just last year <laughs> with the team that we had, oh, man. Curtis Gabriel. Curtis Gabriel, when this guy gets called up from the Marlies to the Toronto Maple Leafs, we watch to see the noise that this young man's going to make. I don't know if you're aware of Curtis, but he's also oh, yeah. a special guest. Yeah. Yes, but, but please, Adam, you're just about to say something, brother. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, dude, I was like, I'm not a Toronto fan. I'm a diehard Oilers fan. <laughs> yeah. I thought you guys had the making, too. The way you guys spanked us and everything, I'm like, holy cow, Toronto looks like. But the playoffs, and this is what people, you know better than anyone, so this is what people don't understand is in the playoffs, the rules are different. They just yeah. are, right? Mm -hmm. Guys get away with way more hacking and slashing and holding. And this is where people are like, well, how is an enforcer going to help? He's not fast enough. And that they're evolving like everybody else. Look at somebody like Ryan Reeves. When that guy gets traded or gets moved to a team, everybody's paying. Even to me, it always shows up on my thing. Revo going to New York, right? They didn't like oh, what yeah. happened. Aaron, they're like, boom, they're bringing him in. Like, it is human. And that's what we try to cover in that part with Howard Bloom and Ice Guardians. It is, you can try to re regulate as much as you, but you cannot regulate human behavior. We will always still have jealousy, envy, rage, those things. And when you're doing it in an, in an environment that's not natural to us, you're going on artificial surface at super high speeds in a cage with screaming fans. Yeah, it kind of sends you back to your like, you know, more natural instincts of smash, grab, survive, right? And when you yeah. are high levels and things get heated, you are going to fight. When competition gets stiff like that, that is what's going to happen. And I love now that there's guys like Curtis Gabriel coming up. And I mean, hey, people love it when Cassian drops it or Darnell Nurse. Like, yep. you're, you're live. I was at the Cassian game live, and it was interesting to see where he was. Oh, only were you? Yeah, I was at the game. And it was interesting because he was pretty sleepy for a preseason game. It was only about half, half full. But when Cassian, everybody, like, all of a sudden, were, the roar, I could see them talking. So I was seeing it before, I think, the average fan. I was like, oh, it's going to happen. He's, they're 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 obliging. Cass is going to give it to him. The young guy wants to stay in the lineup. Who got yeah? And they went and then, but it instantly went silent when he fell on his head. Weird, right? Yeah. It was, no one likes to see that. I didn't like to see him right away, even though I was high up and I couldn't see it completely. My buddy was a Canucks fan. I was like, oh, dude, that sucks. Like there was a good tilt until Cass fell on his head. He's like, I don't think he fell. I think what's his name got him. I'm like, no, it was the fall. Like the pun. He's like, oh, you're right. He slowed it down. Some in the clip. He's like, shit, you're right. I'm like. Dude, I've been a fan of this for a long time. I can tell it's not normally the punch, right? It's usually the hit to the ice, but uh, it can come from the punch too. But uh, yeah, it was sad. But uh, nice to see that Cassian bounced right back and shut the bluebirds up and said, yeah, I know the risks and I'm going to continue to do it while I'm still playing. So, you know, if you, if you don't like it, don't watch. Exactly, Adam. And I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that part about the risk because what I found is that most of my teammates, man, what they appreciated most about me or anyone else that would do that role was the risk that we were taking. Nobody wants to take that risk. Like guys, guys will do it, but they yeah. don't want to do it. Right. Yeah. So when the guy beside you, when everyone knows he's going to do it, then you're just so relieved and yeah. you're just loving this guy that he's willing to do it and that you don't have to do it. And like, and, and the tough guys know this, we know this, right? And so I believe that that's the biggest respect getter right there is the risk taking. And what Cassian did was he took that risk. Unfortunately, he, he slipped, he hit his head on the ice and that's the bad part of the risk taking, right? So I agree more on that side. 
that great part that Howard Bloom, I think he nails that in Ice Guardians when he says, here's this guy that's willing to sacrifice his own bones, his own brains, his own thing for everyone else. Like you want that in your dressing room, regardless of the pugilist. You're like, man, like I want that passion. I, I, I want that passion on my film crew that someone's willing to like, willing to get into a fight to make sure the film gets the footage we need and get the access we'd like. That is contagious. That is human behavior that can either lift a team or drop a team. And I love that too. Get these dorky analytic guys. They drive me crazy when they're like, well, I can show you all these times it didn't work. I'm like, I can show you 2% of the time that a power play doesn't work either. Does that mean it's not effective? Highest one in the league operates at like 28%. That means two, two and a half times out of 10, it works. You don't do it. Now, if you make the playoffs by one point, and you drop the gloves in that one game, Sean, that's a pivotal rival game that gets you that win, that rallies the troop for a 3-2, 4-2 win. I was like, was it worth it? 100% it is, right? And times, even though this is where there's a great, we didn't get to put this clip in, but there's a great part that Dave Brown talks about when Messier won the Cup in Edmonton. And Dave Brown was playing regular minutes throughout the regular season, but in the playoffs, he didn't get to play. And one of the first people he handed the Cup to, Messier as the captain that year, was to Dave Brown, to saying, thank you for you know, setting the precedence during the regular season and helping us to feel confident because guys can even like Holly talked about this in ice guardians. Like, man, when I had chaser and, and twister on the bench, I felt 10 feet tall. I was like, I could get a goal anytime I want. Cause I know if you try to come offside, you've got these two maniacs to deal with. Right. And as chaser jokes about the race for chase, it was like, which, what's your poison? Who do you want? Like, sure. You want chaser first. He's still an animal. And if you, if you're lucky enough to get by him, you're going to have to face twister right after. So no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that something? Man. First fight. Parker's first fight was almost that stalemate with Twister, right? And I think Parker, a lot of guys had heard about Parker when you talk about his rise early on. A lot of guys had heard about Parker earlier because that's right when like the internet was starting to come around and you could okay. start. To, yeah. We, we did a screening with Danny Prober, Bob Probert's widow, and she was talking about like how when he had to face pro, he wasn't sleeping. And she's like, what's going on? She's like, there's this young kid. And she's like, you're never like this, even with like everybody else. She's like, yeah, he's like, but I've seen video of this kid. He's an animal and he's huge and he's young and I'm getting old. And that was the one though that Parker got dropped too. It was one of the first ones where Parker got stunned, right? But yeah. they heard about him, Twister, all of them had heard. You, they saw this animal where... You watch highlights of Parker in the WHL. I don't know if, like, probably the league didn't have the talent and everything, but he was truly a giant amongst boys at that time. Like, they just, I don't think the separation in that was quite, like, you would never find it now. But at that time, you'd look at out there, you're like, is he 10 years older? He was just so much bigger, huge goatee. Like, all these other guys, like, 16, look like little kids, right? And then you have this, like, yeah. man out there with these giant fists. So I, I think it was just a different era. But they'd all heard about him, and they wanted... They wanted, but were scared. They were even Twister, the animal. Like, he's very timid. They broke him apart. They didn't really get to go the first one. They were so worried about that first clinch, right, that they yeah. had to go. Yeah. Well, when I saw the fight with Proby, right, that, that Parks always talks about, and when I saw him not wanting to let go, like, <laughs> What I was, what what I'm thinking is this guy. The fight meant so much to Parks, and I know how much it must have meant to him. This is this is like his number one idol. He's finally getting a chance. His dream is coming. You know, he's gonna call him Sir right before Sir. Yeah. Would you like to go? You know what I mean? And then and then and then boom boom boom. And then all of a sudden it's over, and he's just probably thinking, No, no, it's not over. I'm okay. 
I'm not going to end my dream right now. Like, that's why you didn't let go, right? And I know it. You know it. Yeah. Did you, did, did, did Parks tell you, like, after? Because they had, like, a home and home where he played him shortly after. And, and he went up and he was like, hey, bro, be, like, totally sorry about that. I didn't, yeah. I, I didn't mean it. And he's like, it's okay, kid. It happens to all of us. And Parks was like, yeah, he doesn't hate me, right? Like, he was like, <laughs> he was like cool, because so he's cool. my idol, right? Where... Like, I love hearing those stories, too. That was when, you know, again, that's what inspired me to do Ice Guardians. I'm like, I have to tell these stories. It's so cool to see this dynamic. And if you really got to know most of it. And the other thing I will say about 99% of guys that did your role, like you, Sean, is that off the ice, they're the greatest guys to film. Because you guys, to me, as a filmmaker, seem to appreciate your time there. Because, you know, on any given day you could get the tap saying, Sean, it's time to go back to the A. And then you don't know if you're going to climb up, right? Where you have a lot of the other, I won't mention any names, but I've worked with a lot of the first round draft picks and stuff that they've had their gloves dried and carried for them since they were 14 years old, being highly, where to me, a lot of times you wanted to grab and be like, dude, you know how fucking lucky you are to be here? Do you know my other kids work just as hard as you and maybe weren't gifted as genetically or didn't see the game as well as you, but put in more time, more effort, more heart than you did? But of course, like I'm filming in there, so I'm keeping my mouth shut. But a lot of them, you know, I was kind of like, I wanted to grab them and be like, you cocky little prick, right? Like I could give a shit if you were like, whereas the enforcers, man, like nine times were the best. We're like, sure, I'll make time for you. What do you need? In fact, Gazdick did one of the coolest things ever for me that probably is what made my daughter like a diehard hockey enthusiast is that she's really young. She's just getting into hockey, starting to like it. And then I was like, hey, Gaz, can you do me a huge favor? come into the game on this day. Can you like get me down and just meet you? Right. I was just like, Hey, just to see an oiler come out and sign. And he's like, dude, yeah. of course he's like, do you need tickets? I'm like, no, I will get my tickets. I know that you have to get charged for those. And even though he's making decent money still, I was like, no, 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 I got the tickets. Just get me the back. He's like done. No problem. So we come back there. Now he's rooming with Connor McDavid at the time. Right? No way. Oh man. So Connor, that's when Connor broke his collarbone though. And he was out. So okay. we're Gazlik and I are talking. He's right down talking to my daughter. My daughter's probably 10 at the time. And he's like, hey, Rice, how many goals you got this year? And she's like, I don't know, like 12. And Gazlik's like, well, that's like 11 more than me. Good for you. <laughs> he was like, and then Connor walks by and he goes, hey, Connor, come here. And Connor's like, what? What's going on? He's like, hey, this is my buddy Adam that did Ice Guardians. And Connor's like, oh, man, that's so awesome. Loved it. Dave Semenko's so scary. I've met him a few times. He still scares me. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And then Gazlik's like, hey, he's like, this is daughter Riley. And Connor, like, right down on one knee, he's like, hey, Riley, nice to meet you. And he's like, sign his sign her jersey. Now, in Edmonton, Taylor Hall was the heartthrob, right? He was on every billboard. And my daughter, everybody wanted to be number four. So that's who my daughter really wanted to see in addition to Gazlik. So, but Connor goes, well, this is a Halsey jersey. And, and, and Gazlik goes, who cares? You're signing the front. I'm signing the other side. We'll get Halsey signed the back. Yeah. So they sign it. Gazzik goes, gets a Sharpie from one of the other kids waiting in line to get autographs. He's like, I will sign whoever will give me their Sharpie. And they're like, me. So he signs and takes the Sharpie, comes over. Connor and I still, he's still chatting with Riley. We take photos and everything. And then Gazzik also gets uh, um, Hall to sign too. Hall was kind of busy. But Connor, you saw Connor goes, you get your ass back here. When you're done, don't you ditch. You're coming back here. And he said, yes, I will be there. He's like, no, you're coming back. And he did. And he signed the jersey. He took his photo and he's kind of like, like, whereas like Connor. So I have a wicked photo though of Riley between Gazik and McDavid. And the best yeah. part is we're driving the car afterward and Riley knew about Gazik. I talked about him lots. She'd seen him in Ice Guardians and she obviously knew who Taylor Hall was. And she goes, Dad, 
who's that other really nice young guy that signed my jersey? <laughs> I was like, oh, kiddo, you are going to know who he is very soon in the next couple of years. And now, like, I show that photo and I still tell people, like, she had no idea who Connor McDavid was. I'm like, no idea. She just thought he was a really nice young, because he would have been 18 at the time, I think, like, literally yeah. a kid. Looking like he was 16. Yeah. Looking right? like, she goes, who's that really nice kid that signed my jersey? <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's so awesome, man. I, I absolutely love it, brother. I love it. So, like, the, the two things that I wanted to focus on was Ice Guardians and then, of, co of course, you know, making Coco. Ah, so those – well, Ice Guardians – so Ice Guardians obviously is uh, a special one for me. And then you want to talk about, you know, having a pinch yourself moment. So after making Ice Guardians, right, and getting all these calls from NHLers and even me – like, I remember we did an event and like Derek Dorsett was like nervous to meet me because he's like, dude, everything in Ice Guardians encapsulates like who I was as a like. And he was talking like as I became Ch Kelly Chase became my producing partner. Right. So they were they're both Saskatchewan boys. And then okay. and then he was like, hey, Chaser, can you introduce me? And he was like, I couldn't believe them. Like, dude, you're nervous to meet me. I'm like, you're the NHLer. I'm like, I'm just a filmmaker from Edmonton. He's like, dude, that movie is like when I tell people what it was like for me in my career, I just say watch that, that encapsulate, you know, encapsulates everything that it was. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to do making Coco and then I'm on the phone with Grant and diehard Oilers fan here growing up. Like my, my parents, I was a kid in the eighties. And so we're on the phone and then my, my director, Don Metz was like, Oh yeah, you know, Fierzy, we got Scorgy on the line here from ice guardians and stuff. And Fierzy stops like the conference call. I just don't see, he goes, Adam, I just want to tell you, like I've seen ice guardians and it's tremendous. And I'm, thrilled that you are the one that's going to be helping to produce my documentary i know that if whoever made that film is gonna be working on mine we're in good hands and it was one of those moments where he pinches like i wanted to hit mute and be like dude hall of famer is like excited that i'm working for him like what me like i'm i'm a dork right like i, I was like you know i had to be cool and be like oh grant very excited to tell your story <laughs> i was looking forward to working together um, actually, it's funny that because just today on Facebook, a memory came up uh, three years. We did a screening here at uh, Rogers and the Oilers got involved and they gave all the money to charity. And we set a record for they just all the videos and stuff were coming. We had 3000 people just under like 29 something to come really? watch film on the big screen. They set up this big thing. They pulled all of his gear out of the Hall of Fame. They set up like the four different eras that he was playing unreal i was just looking back at the photos my producing partners and i are like dude that's incredible like you know and sometimes you're worried about the event coming off and making sure you do right by grant and you want to talk about a sweetheart of a man to work like grant is i love the guy they get he texts me on my birthday he texts me on father's day he texts me you can talk about just a great man grant here is a great man and as the film points out too he got a bunk deal with what happened with his suspension and him almost getting kicked out of the league is like but it shows you how much the league has changed where at the time here's a guy that had already went through rehab right didn't really have a problem but still put himself wanted to get better as he like his grand said he's like adam we were a dynasty team i was in my mid-20s we'd won four cups like yeah drugs were everywhere we didn't have to try right like like but already been sober and hadn't been using for and then he went to get help because or he went to just be honest because they were going to publish the story because a young journalist wanted to get the story and he said okay if you're going to publish it anyway i'll just come tell you my story and the nhl was originally looking at a lifetime ban because he wow. spoke about it 
right? Now, obviously, that got reduced to like a season and everything else. But even the fact that why would you do that just because he was honest and he got in front of it? He's like, yeah, I've already been to rehab. I've gotten out. I'm getting healthy. I'm back in shape. And he killed it the season after that. Yeah. Right? So, no, it was uh, uh, Grant here will be a lifelong friend now at this point. It was awesome to tell his story, too. It it really is those moments where you, you as you talked about in the beginning of the podcast, we talked like, like I geek out of these things too. Like, like I have my dream job. So when I get to tell these stories and get to travel with them and go through it, like, you know, like there was when we were in St. Louis filming, cause Grant like had a, a wicked comeback in St. Louis. That a lot of people yeah. don't know about because TV rights were shitty back then. And if you didn't follow the blues, you probably didn't see just how amazing he played down there. Arguably his best hockey ever. Yep. Um, and we're out having drinks this night and it's chaser, twister, Holly, uh, Jamie rivers, Turgeon, like all these guys. And like, and then, and then us, my film crew, I was kind of like, one of these things does not belong here. <laughs> and it's <laughs> legends. And then us, but, uh, tears, he made sure that we were welcome everywhere that we went. So it was a awesome experience. And at times me and my crew, we remind ourselves, like, dude, we get paid to go tell these stories and, and go across the world. And that is, I, I, I wouldn't want to do anything else if I'm being brutally honest. I, I love what I do. So, and, and thanks for sharing that, buddy. This is what I'm curious about, Adam. When you do projects like, like the Grant Fuhr story, and now you already know this guy from what you know of him, but now you really get to know him really well. Is there like, like what, what's the feeling afterwards, bro, where you're able to tell such a good guy's story that if people hadn't seen that, they would not look at Grant Fuhr the way they look at him, right? And because of that, they look at him in such a higher light. And 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 that's and that's to you, man. Like you put that together, right? It's Fierzy's story, but but you made it happen. You made the millions of people see that, man. That's gotta be fulfilling. It, it uh, you hit the nail on the head there, Johnny. It's very fulfilling. <laughs> but it keeps me and the team going. That's why we do it, is it's it's not for any of the the accolades and so that's all a bonus if the talent loves the film that's the biggest thing we care about did we honor your story correctly right because as you say like we can get what we can from wikipedia but then we have to dive in and it always helps when you have a guy like now grant's not the most outspoken guy but grant hmm. is brutally honest which that is key for a doc and that was something we said is we said hey grant in order to have a great film we have to have conflict and resolution we can't we can't not talk about the suspension, right? Like we have to go there. You have of to course. get details and explain how that went. And his answer is the best. He just goes, he goes, guys, no problem. I've already lived through that. He's like, it's way easier to go through it now that I know the outcome, right? Then versus when I went through yeah. it, didn't it happen. So that that part is definitely, you know, but it is, it is a tough conversation when you're first starting of like, what are you comfortable with? Where are we gonna go? We'd like to go here. Great part with Grant is he's like, go wherever you want. I, I've been all through this. I've lived through this. I've battled through this. I know it's not an issue for me. So, and, and in fact, once we found out the facts that all he did was admit it is, was what got him suspended. We're like, what? That's only going to make people like you more, that you were honest and open and you were trying to get ahead of it and be, if you think about that now with guys going to substance abuse programs and everything else, if you were looking for help and you just went and admitted it and then you were looking at a lifetime ban like how bad would the nhl look that's why the nhl was not happy about the project when they released it but but batman's not a fan of mine from ice guardians either so um, it's fine we're, we're mutual not fans of each other 
I hear you, man. Now, the one thing I forgot to add to the whole mental health thing, uh, the, to the point of, of where people were trying to say, oh, like, you know, now that the fighters are out of there, it's going to solve all this stuff, when really it's all players that have the same amount of chance of, of having to, to have these problems, right? Carrie Price, man. Was yes. that surprising to you? No, this is what I talked about. This is what we said. We said that there's other guys, Sean. You, I'm sure you know. I don't want to name names out of respect for their families, but yeah, they're they're Hall of Famers. There's other elite scores that have never had a major concussion or like not like one of those defining hits that they didn't play. Like there's a lot of them, right? Including mm -hmm. one of the most elite American score. There's a lot of them that have mm -hmm. substance abuse issues. So. I was disappointed to see that with Kerry sad, like hoping the best for him and his family, but yeah. really just kind of proves the point that we've been talking about when we did, when ice guardians released in 2016, that this is a much bigger, more complex issue. And any addiction specialist will tell you that. And for you to just rule it off and put it all on the fighters, that's just this, the, like we have Jeff Merrick say that in ice guardians, he said, that's just the lazy story. Oh, we're going to pick on him, right? Because he's the guy that, you know, had the smallest contract. He played limited times. He has an injury. Yeah. We're going to go with him because he's in easy pickings. Whereas a lot of the superstar guys, if you wanted to cover their story, they have publicists and managers and endorsement. They're never going to let you cover with their, hell no. They're yeah. going to get the fuck out of here. So it, it, you'll see more and more. You're going to see more and more and more superstars that that is, it isn't, look, my brother's an addict too. It, it affects the greatest of athletes and the greatest of businessmen down to it isn't just a lower economic issue or just a fighter issue. It isn't everybody issue. And the good thing is about the way the carry price and stuff handle it is maybe now we can look at like, wow, this is an issue that affects everybody. It isn't one as much as we like to say, it's only this with hockey. It's only that. And if we could just correct that, it's not, it's a whole thing. So I'm actually glad you brought that up. Cause that's a great, like arguably the greatest goaltender in the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One yeah, of the man. great in the last decade struggling with like everybody else. Like it's hard. It, it's mental illness and it doesn't having a brother that's an addict. It isn't always the easy thing to say, well, this is what that's what as a family of an addict, you want to be able to say this is what it is. And if we put a bandaid on it, we can fix it. But unfortunately, that's not how addiction and mental illness works. It's a combination of a lot of things, right? Everybody's looking just like the media when they were attacking the enforcers, they were looking for the easy fix. As an addict fan, we're always like, if we could just do this with my brother and put that stamp, then everything would be good. But it's not like that, right? It is a constant everyday struggle. They have to overcome these things in their head. They have to take therapy. They have to do things. It isn't easy. Mental illness and addiction is very, 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 very tough to, to overcome. And I wish Carey Price nothing but the best. And it, the good news is with him stepping out is maybe now we'll look at this as a more complex issue than we thought it originally was. Yeah, and Adam, I mean... I know that you're aware of this, but like people need to understand like the Montreal Canadians in Montreal, because I've lived in, I've had the, the chance to live there. Like, I don't know. Have you ever, have you ever lived in the, lived. the Ile de Montréal? No. Well, I've been there. My, yeah. my, my wife's from there and I love the city, but I've okay. never lived. I, I wouldn't say I've experienced the full, the full life of living in Montreal. Yeah. But where I'm trying to get at is that like, first of all, Carrie Price He's the most popular guy, okay, on that team. He just is, okay? Like, yeah. Montreal has a thing for their goalies, you know, Patrick Wall, all that, right? Yeah, but or, yeah. Yeah. Carrie's the man in Montreal. And those guys are gods, man. And he's the top one. 
right? The guy has three, I think, three beautiful children, beautiful wife. He's probably just, everything's free for him. Probably he goes to eat. People are just like, no, Carrie, no, no, don't worry about it. It's not, you know what I mean? The guy's making 10, 11 a year. And you know what I mean? Like, and, and he has problems just like everybody else. He has problems just like everybody else. And that is the, like you mentioned, that is the biggest thing about this. I mean, I feel terrible too, man. I wish him the best, but a player of that statute, sometimes stature, it sometimes like, that's what it takes, man, to get, to get the attention. Unfortunately, I think you hit the nail on the head, uh, Sean. I think that that might be the thing that gets the awareness that's needed that this isn't all, and you're starting to see teams LA started with that, right? What they had. They had someone coming there and McGratton was helping in Calgary to help. Right. And, and, mm. you know, doing great things where he was kind of their confidant where like they'd come and he'd be like, don't fucking lie to me. And the kids would be like, well, I'd, you know, I went here and he's like, dude, tell me the truth. Did you do the blow? Did you do, I've done it all. So don't try to say, don't try to, don't, don't lie to me. Cause I'm the guy that's going to break it to the team in a good way. So you don't get in trouble. Right. Like you need it. And I mean, think about just the pressure now compared to when the guys like, and people are like, Oh yeah, tough it's hard, right? Like you, I, I see just the pressure my daughter puts on herself for her triple A team. She wants to be a top player. She wants to be an impact player. It's hard. I can't imagine when you're 18, 19, cracking the NHL, an entire city depends on you. Like Edmonton yeah. is to Montreal that way where, you know, the Oilers never have to pay for a drink when they go to bars here. They are oh. super, their billboards are everywhere. Girls yeah. are begging to sleep with them, right? Like they yeah. just like, you know, people don't know what that's like when you're 19 years old and like a group of 10 girls that come up to you and any one of like, they'll all go together if they have to, right? And yeah. everything at you, everybody can say, oh, I know exactly what I do in that situation. And unless you've been given that, no, you don't. You just don't, right? Bill Burr has a great joke about that, about the gold, like epidemic of gold digging horrors, right? Where they make fun of, I don't know if you've seen that bit, but he's like, everyone's yeah. like, oh, atrocious. I'd never, and they're like, yeah, because you've never had that opportunity. You have no idea what it's like to be on that rise of fame where everyone you're scrutinized, you can't get away from it. Social media, the newspaper, the, I remember when Everything. Jeffrey Google was playing here, my buddy managed the bar and he's like, Hey, so like, can we get hooked up? And right away the, the bartender, the waitress was just like, can we get some goals? And you guys win a fucking game. Like, <laughs> like we just want to come out for a drink. Jeez. Like just everywhere. So yeah. And when you're at the top of that and you're the backstop, the only player that's on the ice for 60 minutes, as much as it might, everything might seem perfect. I'm sure there's a ton of pressure. And also just thinking about, and I'm sure you've seen that this was something that I thought actually Paul Bissonnette covered pretty good when he couldn't make an NHL team and he went to the AHL and he played for the Monarchs. And yeah. I was listening to him on an interview and somebody said, hey, like, do you think that's like, because he said he had a little bit of depression. He didn't really know what it was, but he felt stiff. He couldn't get his workouts in. He just felt cloudy. And mm. Right away, the sports night guy's like, oh, is that from, like, fighting? And Pugilay, he's like, no. He's, he's like, it just went from, I've loved hockey from the time I was 10 years old, and now it's just over. Like, yeah. I was in the NHL last year, and now nobody's calling me back. The manager's not calling me back. Even And, you know, even your teammates, you're like, yeah, you're homies. But when they're still training every day and going to the rink, like, they got family. They can't be like, hey, Sean, I'm going to call you every day at four. And this time, like, no, they're 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 busy, too. Yeah. So you kind of get alienated. You have these young men that are like, wow, I'm only in my late 20s, early 30s. And the world has said I'm done, but I'm not done. Right. Mm-hmm. Is a big thing that causes depression. Everybody, again, wants to be able to put the the tape. What? I need my computer. Oh. 
Sorry. No, it's all good, bro. That's why we, we, we this is just a recording. This is amazing, um, though, by the way. But, you know, that's, you know, that that was an interesting thing. There was a, an HBO piece that covered this and Brett Favre and some other guys talked about it. It was a really interesting part that I was like, oh, I wish I would have known about that ice guardians. And again, everybody's looking for the easy fix. Oh, it was one big hit. Oh, it was a concussion. Oh, it was this. We're going to just say that's the reason everything went out of control. But it isn't. It, it just isn't that easy. Right. And I thought I wish, you know, I could have talked to to Bissonette when that happened and like, or been on that interview and be like, yeah, you got to look at this. There's superstars that go through that problem too. And I, I asked Grant about this because he is one of the most comfortable players in retirement. I said, Grant, like, how was it for you that he's just like, Adam, he's like, for me, it was easy because my body was done. I had knee replacements. I couldn't move. Like, yeah. you know, basic would have been a cakewalk for me were a real struggle. Right. And I just couldn't perform at the level I wanted at my body. Like my mind was there and I wanted, but my body was clearly not. So it was easy for me to step away. And I found golf. Right. And he's really, really good golfer. Like don't bet money with him and go on the golf course. He will kill. <laughs> he's really good. He'll so humble though. He'll be like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm like, yeah, he's like a scratch golfer. He's ridiculous. Um, but he found golf and he's like, I found something else. He's like, where you see that struggle more. And I'm sure you, you had players like this, Sean, that later on in their career, like fitness testing, they're still the top. They're doing the most chin-ups, they're conditioning, but they just can't put it together on the ice anymore. Like they haven't yeah. really step, but something, they just, something's not there. They can't. And Grant said, those are the guys that my friends, when those guys, like they just couldn't handle They're Like, man, my fitness is there. I, my speed is there. And I still, I just can't, I just can't put it. And that would break them where they're like, I just don't understand why I can't be successful anymore. I'm not, I can't put the puck in the net. I can't, but all their elements are there. Shot still there. Speed still there. Timing still just something they've lost a step somewhere and they can't really, he said, those guys really struggled afterwards. Right. And I was like, man, that's such an interesting perspective. And Grant's like, again, for me, he's like, it was easy. I had two knee replacements for, he's like, I walk. There's no chance of me getting in net. He's like, I'm, I can barely move now. Right. Whereas I was, he was known for his acrobatics when he's, I mean, sure. Yeah. The shirt I'm wearing, right. With the big glove saves and the whole, but he's like, by the end, you know, I was pretty much like, tink, tink, trying to just be positional because my body was toast. I know that there was one record that Grant got with St. Louis with this, like with the comeback. And, and I think it's, it, it's the, the most amount of saves in, in a game. And I'm thinking the number I'm thinking is like 73 or something crazy <laughs> like that. It must've been a couple overtime periods in that game, but man, he, he did some really special things in St. Louis. Like, and, and, and like, I know that obviously that part of the story is, is extremely important in the whole thing. Right. So yeah. that's so cool, man, to hear some of that insight, dude. And I'm telling you, man, like awareness, th th we try to be a show of awareness. So that's why I'm just, I'm just at the edge of my seat, just listening to you because, because Adam, we need to talk about these things. It, these things need, need to be talked about. What you just talked about with, with the superstars and, and, and the, the, the goons, yeah. right? And, and all that kind of stuff, man, like, like that is, that's so valuable. I'm, I'm so thankful that we actually got into that, brother, because that was not in the talking points, bro. So like that, that's very, very important to me as a former guy that, that played the role and all these people have a, a, like a, a way that they think about that we're the reason for this and, and we're the ones that are the only ones. No, this is everyone. This is a problem that affects everybody. And like I'm telling you, Adam, awareness equals to action. 
right? Yep. So the more people that are aware of this, the better it's going to be. And I'm just thankful that that you gave us that type of insight, my man. So Adam, score G productions. Yeah, that's score my G productions. And I'm saying it like that because I just think it's so cool, man. How you're just get, making your name a part of everything. And, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So I want to talk. That's obviously the, the current, the, the current project, right? That's the company. Well, that's you. That's my, that's my, my production company. And I, I put that for two reasons is that's how my name's pronounced, right? Is like, cause oftentimes, and it bugs my daughter to death when we're at a tournament, they'll be like, Riley Scorgi. And she's like, it's score G like score goals. Right. So, so I put that pun when I did it back in the day, I was like, oh, I'll just do score G productions, like how it sounds. And then I remember just like you in the first time we screened the film, they're like, oh, I like how you did that with your name. So then it's stuck ever since then. But that is, yeah, that's my production company that's now in in Alberta, started in BC with the union, but now is in Alberta and has been fortunate enough to be involved in all the films we talked about, Ice Guardians, Making Coco, Tough Guy, The Probert Doc, just wrapped Michael Bisming's doc, about to work on Dolph Lundgren's doc. There's another one if you talk about someone that you think it happens to ever like Dolph Lundgren's been very open in his doc all about childhood abuse he experienced from his father and that's why he was always looking to be successful in martial arts and academics and in then in Hollywood because he was always looking for that like father approval that he never really got when he was younger right that he's been wow. constantly like seeking that accolade right where again there you, there you have a guy by like if you were to judge a book by its cover you're like what Dolph Lundgren like beautiful physically fit man like was in the military martial artist black belt and in, in uh yakido karate boxer movie star what problems does he have well he went through battles like any other person right and is coming in full circle of his story of like i rose to stardom really quick and then i had a crash and then you know where i did a lot of b movies and stuff i hated to do but they were paying the bills so i could support my family and now he's back on that uprise doing aquaman 2 and doing the new expendables and then this documentary so you know and as you said it's sharing perspective that you know everybody even though his life is in this path and like i'd probably live 10 times to try to experience what he has that he has similar struggles that you know you do as a hockey player or i do as a film producer that we we aren't that different as much as our lives may be on different paths we have a lot of similarities in the battles and stuff we go through absolutely buddy that that's that's that and it's beautiful the way that you put it because it's so honest and it's so true my man right yeah. so so thank you yeah. so now i'm i'm curious to know like dude your work is so good what's the easiest way for me as a fan to find these incredible <laughs> documentaries of yours, man. What's the easiest way? Like, what's what? What do you well, prefer people to to do? Like, when they ask you, so how can I support you? I want to see all your stuff. Most of them are on Amazon Prime now. Um, okay, because that's the way. Kind of, there's different windows and how they sell, but like most of them, I think. I mean, yeah, your best way is to go on Amazon Prime. I think you can get on there. You can get Culture High, Making Coco, Tough Guy, Ice Guardians. I don't think if inmate would be if you're in the States or internationally, but in Canada right now, it's got a geo block, I think for like another six months and then it will be on Amazon prime and everything here. But Amazon prime is probably the easiest way, right. Is to, to follow our team's work. And I want to be clear, cause I know I've been talking, we've had such a good session here, Sean, but as I mentioned earlier, before we were recording, although like I'm the kind of the vocal person and the advertiser for the film, 
just like a hockey team, it takes a film. It takes a whole team to make a great film. I have great editors. I have great directors, cinematographers, like creative people. I am just one key in the cog. These things do not get done without a great team. Just like a great team. You know, it's on the back of my daughter's hockey team. Great players win games. Great teams win championships. And no great film is made without without a team. So, and just like you have with your podcast, there's a team that has to do that. So, I'm usually the advertiser and the, the, the producer, the salesman, the go-getter. But, you know, my, my team's work, I'm very thankful to have. It's, it's kind of like traveling on a hockey team. We have such a good group of people. When we get together on the road now, it's kind of like, we're like, man, it's like having a band or, or a hockey team where it's tired. It's grueling days. It's 12 to 16 hours and we're driving and on planes and COVID tests with all this COVID world. And, and you know, it's exhausting, but I, I couldn't do it with a better group of people that I do go on the road with. So, um, you know, all them, their names are all in the credits too. Mine, mine might just be a little bigger at the front, but that really doesn't mean anything other than to try to get us financed to do the next one together. I love it, dude. I love it so much. I love hearing someone that appreciates their team the way that you do, dude, because that's really how success is made, right? It's all about the team. That's what some people don't understand. It's really all about the team. It's really, that's really what it is. Now, my friend, speaking of teams, did, did you hear about our, our boy making that comeback and actually playing the other night and getting an assist? Brady? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I like that. I, I like seeing them come back. I, I'm, I'm always rooting for him. So I'm happy that he came back and played well. It, I, it's just now, man, that I, that I noticed the cap. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've been so focused yeah. in on the stories. Yeah, bro. Yeah, for sure. I'm a puck support warrior as well. Nice. Well, that's, I love Brady's. I mean, it's funny because I didn't, it's funny that we didn't cross paths earlier, but because he's a Cologne, he played in Cologne and he was actually yeah. a health player when you look back yeah. so on my talks. I've done a few podcasts with him and great, 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 great guy. Uh, love Brady. And he's like promotes my daughter like crazy. And, and I'm happy to see, and there's a great lesson of a guy like, look, he was a goal scorer. Sure. He dropped the mitts and stuff, but he has a very good perspective of that. He's like, man, if people want to point to that being the problem, he's like, I was a, a scared little boy that had abuse issues and stuff like that, that I'm now coming to terms with. Again, such bigger issues than the five years you played hockey or something, right? To try to say, oh, it was that head injury that caused everything. Maybe that's just when things really spiraled out of control to where it was noticed. But Brady has a great perspective and I love what he's doing with his podcast. And he's been given a purpose that really helps him. That that to, to be seems with like my brother and other people I know went through addiction is like, you have to find that purpose. If you can find that purpose, whatever it is, that is like, to me, seems to be just as a, you know, my my uneducated look and at addiction is that that's the key to getting out of it, right? Or to getting out of it is yeah. finding a purpose. Whatever that purpose is, you know, just him talking to people on podcasts and living their experience and helping where he can, that seems to be a big thing. And I, I have nothing. That's where Brady's like, anytime he wants to do a podcast, I'm like, I'll make time, brother. I'm a big Remember, he's so stoked the first time. I think I was one of his first ones on there. And he was like, oh, my God, this is so I'm like, dude, this is awesome for me. It was cool. Yeah. Hang on, Sean. I want to make, I want to plug my because I'm doing this on my phone. I want to make sure it doesn't die. It keeps morning. So I'm plugging in here. Great idea, man, because I I got to get you to do an, a nice little cameo for us, too, before we finish here. Sure. Let me plug this in because it keeps warning me low battery. So there we go. Now we're in. Right on, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. So like, like, honestly, Adam, man, like this actually what makes me the most happy about 
pretty the whole episode, but especially the second half, is to talk about the mental health, brother. Because like I said, yeah, like our show, we really try to make it about awareness, and the mental health awareness is so important to us. You gave such good insight, such good angles that people really need to know. So thank you so much for that, man. That's a really big deal to us over here. No, my pleasure. I've just been fortunate enough that I've I've sat down with a lot of these people, right? So I've had a lot of great perspectives in order to change my perspective, right? That's that's the part of documentary filmmaking that is my favorite, is that there are times when we sit down for an interview that after the interview, I'm like, our whole team, we're silent in the car and we're like, I'm a different person after what I just heard today. Like, I look at the world differently after what they presented. Like, it, it is the greatest part of what we do. Like, I've got to sit down with Dr. Gaber Maté, one of the most renowned addiction specialists in the world, right? And you sit down with him for an hour and you listen to his perspectives, you look at every like I never looked at it that way oh my god like so you know I just that is the dream that is the most compelling part about us doing documentaries that's what keeps us all most excited so, yeah and you have other interviews that are stale and dull and you know I'm sure you as a hockey player there's some that you interview and you're like oh my god it was like pulling teeth to get an answer out of them but then you get <laughs> other so charismatic and so well spoken like I mean, yourself still, oh thank you I, I don't know if I'm as good as 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 the guys, I was gonna say like out of you're all of good, our- buddy. You're you know, really man. good. Trust me, you're really good, buddy. <laughs> well, I was gonna say that yeah, the dude. ending of Ice Guardians is probably still one of the most powerful endings out of any of our films. We're just you want to talk about a funny story with here and Chaser. So we got that moment, right? And then you remember that. So we asked Chaser if you could, would you do it all over again, right? And he instantly gets super emotional, right? And then. We have two cameras. So we have the one that's like a profile, like you see me now. And then we have the side dramatic profile to get. So first thing he does is because he, he starts welling up instantly. So he tries to look away, but then he sees there's a camera right there, right? It's got <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> then he goes up like this, right? Then yeah. Comes yeah. Down, right. And then he gets himself composed and he looks at the camera and he says that awesome line and he goes with a little more fire. Right. And then boom, it goes to like credits. And I remember when we had that, like, so we interviewed him at the Hall of Fame in Toronto and he called me every month, like, how's editing going? I'm so excited to see it cut him. It's going good, brother. It's going good. We're in a few more months. And then he's like, okay, one thing, don't put that crying shit in there, buddy. That'll ruin me. That'll ruin my career. Can't put that in there. Cause you know, the more the tough guys, which the podcasts are now breaking in these ways of sharing perspective have totally changed that. But remember we interviewed, we did that interview in 2014, some of in 2016, tough yeah. guys are show that side. Right. So mm-hmm. Another month goes by. How are things? I'm like, really good. Dragging. He's like, okay, I can't wait. I can't wait. You're not putting that crying shit in there, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, probably won't make it. Won't make it. Then I watched the first rough cut a few months later. I'm like, oh, my God, it ends the film. And he called me every month being like, don't put that shit in there. Don't put that shit in there. What do you think of it now, though? Loves it. Loves yeah. It. Yeah. So, but it was a nerve wracking when I sent him the thing. I'm like, here, watch with your family. Enjoy. I, mean, I didn't sleep that whole weekend. I kept waiting for the text, the call. I'm waiting. Then he finally texts me. He's like, let's talk Monday morning. I got a couple notes, but really good job. And I'm like, okay, that's it. Like, yeah, I look forward to talking about, I didn't sleep a wink that Monday. And I'm expecting to be like, dude, you promised me you broke your promise. You changed. And all he did is he said, Hey, I want you to just, you got a few of the facts wrong in the McSorley incident. I want you to correct that. And I want you to correct this other thing. He's like, other than that, I really love it. And I think you did a great job and you honored our story correctly. And I was like, I was like, so you're good. There's nothing else. And he didn't say anything until we went to the first premiere. Then he brought up a joke about the crying thing. And he goes, yeah, these goddamn producers, you say, hey, don't put my crying in there. Make me look like a softie. And then they end the movie. 
And it was his son. Jason's son is like, he's like, dad, you end the movie in the most gangster way ever. Like tears drawn on your face, looking at like, we couldn't have scripted a better ending with him saying with a little more fire as tears are coming down. his like, like that, that to me encapsulates, encapsulate or captures everything that hockey is blood, tears, crying, emotion, love for a sport that you can't, you, you just can't put into words. And he, I thought the words were perfect, right? Voice cracking, tears on the face with a little more fire. I would do it all over again. Like, unreal. Still, like all of our other films, not to take anything away from them, none of them, like every time I watch that ending, I almost get teary-eyed myself and goosebumps come. It's like one of my favorites. So it's, uh, it is truly, truly a dream come true for my team and I to go tell these. And, you know, regardless of where the game evolves to, at least we know that we honored you know, your story, all your stories correctly. That was our goal is that is a huge part of, like I said earlier in the podcast, a huge part of hockey history and it needs to be represented correctly. And I just wish we could have done a series to get everybody in there, get more of the junior guys, get more of the, but you know, at the time trying to sell, anytime you're trying to sell a hockey documentary, the only place that wants it is Canada. And then, yeah. And then when you're trying to go, well, we want to talk about the fighters and then it gets even harder to sell. So yeah. So I'm glad of topic. Yeah, it's a sensitive topic. If you're doing NBA or NFL, they'd be all over it, right? But hockey's oh, yeah. like, it's like the redheaded stepchild of the sports. They're kind of like, hockey? Like, <laughs> I hear you, man. But... Yeah. Sir, go ahead, Adam. No, I was just saying, unfortunately, that's the way the States looks at it, right? When we pitch yeah. it. Hockey stories, like, I love it. And to me, it's number one, right? MMA and hockey are my two favorite by a country mile, but... When you go to the states, it's like like high school football. They're more interested in than they are yeah. for, for. It's it's just it's a different thing down in the states. Big time, big time, Adam. Man, this this was this was so cool, dude. I, I I appreciate this so much. I'm just excited that the listeners got to hear this type of insight, dude. And 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 like we're we're blessed, bro, to have you on here. I gotta ask you. You, you gotta come back though for a part two, brother. You gotta come back, man, because there's so much more. Well, well, thank you. There, there's so much more that that I want to get into. It's just, it, it's just, I, I gotta have you come back, buddy. Will you come back? Of course, anytime. Yeah, Let's man. Go. We'll do it. Do it next week if you want to do the part two right away. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, buddy. Well, I, I gotta tell you what, Adam. Um, I, I appreciate that. Definitely looking forward to it. And I just, I. We, we we that ending with ice with ice guardians. I I agree, man. It was probably. The, the the most like like the most emotional thing that I've ever experienced. One because I knew exactly how he felt, and two just because of how it was all produced and everything, bro. It was incredible. And if people have not seen that, you gotta check it out, man. The one of the best hockey things I've ever seen. Period. Okay, never mind the topics that we get into, right, Adam? So yeah. that's incredible. So I want to thank you, buddy, and I, w- I want to thank the listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Sheriff featuring special guests. Uh, and, and, I, and man, I, I got to tell you this one thing. The, the, the kindest person that I've met in my life, okay, is my mother. But I got to tell you, buddy, I have no idea how nice you were. Okay, so so I, I just I, I, I got to throw that in there, man. So but yeah, but anyway, tune in next time, guys. We'll definitely see you soon. Woo!